Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I think the birth of Jesus is an occasion for joyous laughter, and that's my title this morning. Proverbs says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. My father was a a storyteller with maybe a strong sense of incongruity, uh, finding laughter in what might have been a tragic situation. Uh, I have, in fact, I have a whole book of his stories. He actually, he wrote letters to us, but And so I've abbreviated a couple. But one of the stories that he used to tell us was of the Cobb brothers out there in Kansas. They were two old bachelor farmers. And uh, they were having, and my father knew them well, they were having a big bean supper in town. And it was an all-you-eat supper. And the spendthrift, you know, they were kind of poor spendthrift farmers. And they had never in their life had an all-you-can-eat meal. And unfortunately, both boys ate so much that they literally exploded. A true story. Another story, just one more. Uh, This is the story of Dead Ed. It's a story, my father, in fact, people didn't believe this story, and he sent off to get the newspaper clippings to prove the truth of this. Uh, Ed's brother was, uh, he brought his, his brother Ed died and he brought him into the undertaker and he said he wanted to pay on an installment basis for the funeral, but he missed the first installment. And so the undertaker just kept him and in fact he had provided clothes, he eventually just took the clothes back too and put a little apron on him. And eventually years and years passed and the brother never came in and Ed became kind of like, you know, leather and stiff, and so he just took him and stood him in a corner uh, with his little apron on. And in fact, people began to come to this little town in Texas just to see Ed standing there in the corner of the undertakers. And I don't remember exactly, but it was like 40 years passed, and then the local high school boys stole Ed, and they hoisted him up the flagpole at the local high school, And his brother was so embarrassed, even though he was an old man by this time, he came and finally uh, they buried Ed 40 years later. And the brother paid in full for his funeral. Dad lived through polio. He had contracted polio as an infant through the Depression, through World War II. And yet he was irrepressibly of a good humor with a deep appreciation for life's strange incongruities. And I believe this Christian faith, I believe his Christian faith shaped his good humor character. I think many of us may be heirs of a kind of joyless, uh, stifling notion of the Bible and Christianity. And at this season, I believe we need to recognize that the arc of the story of the Bible, shaped in particular by the birth of Christ, by the life of Christ, is to give rise to, to joyous laughter. Tragedy has been averted through something seemingly impossible 
that we have this enduring good news. Let me just read a couple of verses from Luke. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke 2.8 And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The arc of scripture, the fall of man, death, despair, it culminates in joy of a very particular kind which directly addresses our defeat and despair. And I believe this joy, this joyous laughter is to be characteristic of our faith and our life. Maybe this is too big a point, so let me begin with a smaller point and simply argue that throughout Scripture there is a basic humorous incongruity always at work. And after I make this point, then I will argue the larger point. This is not simply true of some stories in the Bible, but this is central to biblical faith. Biblical humor, maybe two words you've never heard brought together. It is, as maybe with my father's humor, it brings together the tra tragic, or what could be tragic, and yet the tragedy is relieved in laughter. On Mount Sinai, you may not have noticed this, but as the Hebrews are, you know, they're down at the bottom of the mountain, they're making a golden calf, and God and Moses are both at the top of the mountain, and they're both disclaiming relationship to these people. They're passing it back and forth, kind of like a hot potato. The Lord tells Moses, the rebelling Israelites are your people. And Moses declines this. He said, oh Lord, your anger should burn against your people. And they go back and forth like this for several verses. The book of Jonah, that is, I think that there is a bit of ironic humor in this disclaimer. The book of Jonah is just one big, long piece of ironic comedy. Jonah goes west when God tells him to go northeast. Jonah's, you know, in the belly of a great fish as a kind of three-day time out so he can think. He's being digested and he's digesting his thoughts. He preaches a sermon that he really is reluctant to preach and it's highly successful and he's mad that it's successful. Everything and everybody in the book of Jonah except one person, and that's Jonah, they all obey God. And there's an ironic humor in this that the, the messenger of God is the, the one who's angry with God and would disobey God. There are examples after examples in the Old Testament. There is a deep irony in many of these stories. God is ironic. God laughs. He rejoices. And I believe he encourages us to do the same. In the New Testament, it must be ironic humor that is at work. You know, Jesus calls James and John the sons of thunder. 
I think he's saying that with a smile on his face as they want to call down fire from heaven to consume the, the Samaritans. He said, well, these sons of thunder boys. The Beatitudes are filled with this sort of irony that I think people would smile at, if not outright laugh at. Blessed are the meek. No one had ever heard that, for they will inherit the earth. Would someone light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket? When Jesus urges his followers to not be like the hypocrites, he talks about them praying in the synagogue, which is fine, but then he takes it a step further that they're praying out on the, the street corner shouting. Maybe it's an exaggeration that would have brought smiles to people's faces. And the one we talked about in Sunday school, do, do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? We're not to take this literally. It is irony. It's ironic humor. Let me remove that splinter while I have this log in my eye. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them. And finally, a fool built his house on the sand. You know, I can, uh, we've camped on the beach. It's no pleasant thing. It sounds very romantic, but actually it's not a good place to, to build a house or to, to camp even. I think the scribes and Pharisees are kind of humorless people, and that's part of the joke here. They don't get the joke. Blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Maybe it's the same camel that can't go through the eye of a needle. You know, think of the whole story of Peter escaping from prison. The whole thing is humorous. He's, you know, the angel has to wake him up and tell him to put on his clothes and walk out the door. Then he goes to the house where the church is meeting and knocks and Rhoda answers and says, who's there? And he says, Peter. And she runs in joy to tell everybody and nobody believes her. And meanwhile, Peter's standing out in the street knocking with nobody answering. The Bible is filled with irony, with humor. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, Paul says in Corinthians. I believe this irony and humor, it's not incidental, but I think it's the key. And maybe the key story is one of laughter, is one of irony. And Jesus is in fact identified with he who laughs. The story, of course, is Abraham and Sarah who both respond with laughter to their, the promise, you know, their absurd plight. Sarah laughs privately in her tent. Abraham falls on his face in Genesis 17, 17. Uh, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old, he says? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Unbelievable. And he laughs, but of course he believes it. In part, the absurd situation of being promised a child through Sarah, who is barren, through Abraham, who Paul says was as good as dead, is laughable, because it's absurdly hopeful. The laughter is not simply doubtful. I think it encompasses doubt. Maybe it's, you know, when we are faced with an impossible situation and suddenly the situation is resolved. We say, wow, unbelievable. 
It's good news. We're happy. There is laughter and acknowledgement of the absurdity, but it's not bound by the absurdity. It's not bound by tragedy. It fully faces that reality and the fact that Abraham and Sarah they memorialize the name of their child. You know the meaning of Isaac is he who laughs. Indicates this laughter is integral to their faith. And since we know that Abraham's, you know, Abraham's faith is a prototype of our faith, this indicates that our faith also is to be caught up, I believe, in the same laughter. More than that, you know, because Isaac is a type of Christ, meaning that I, it is the divine and human, human are personified in this laughter of Christ. Maybe it's Soren Kierkegaard who may be the first to develop a deep appreciation. He calls this the comedic element to scripture. The comic arises with a recognition of the tragic. And in fact, the tragic and the comic are very similar. They're both seemingly contradictory, but the tragic, he says, is a suffering contradiction. And the comic is a painless contradiction. That is, there's no relief in tragedy to the suffering. You know, think of Abraham and Sarah, a childless old couple unable to propagate their name and this is of course at this point the equivalent of being able unable to go on living this is the way they would continue to 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 live literally and, and it's an impossible tragic circumstance now if they had had no promise for god from god if they went around you know right oh sarah's gonna have a baby you know it'd be sort of like me saying, oh yeah, Faith and I are going to, we've decided to have another child. Well, everybody would just laugh. But imagine Abraham and Sarah. This gets at the tragic incongruity. There's a tragic humor. That is, if there were no promise. Life of Brian is a Monty Python. He, they, they have this row of men, they're all being crucified. And they take a Disney song look on the bright side of life and they're singing it while they're on the cross but of course this is you, you laugh but it's a kind of sad laughter listen to the last verse of this I mean what have you to got, got to lose you know you come from nothing you're going back to nothing what have you lost nothing always look on the bright side of life so the tragic and the comic contain a deep incongruity but I believe the laughter evoked by the tragic, it is a suffering laughter. You laugh, but with pain. While the laughter in a comedic, what Kierkegaard is calling comedy, it recognizes the tragic, but it's made relative. It's outweighed by the promise, for example, given to Abraham. And so the comic is a seeming contradiction, an incongruity through which one escapes an otherwise impossible, tragic circumstance. And so in Kierkegaard's explanation, the comedic surpasses tragedy, evokes laughter in the midst of tragedy, because we perceive there is an answer 
through an seeming impossibility. And so the comic arc of the Bible, of the incarnation, I believe we often miss this because of the same platonizing tendencies which have produced a disembodied sort of Christianity. Laughter or the comic are important features of our everyday life. We enjoy laughter on a daily basis or we should as Christians. But often religiosity or piety has a long history of separating out the most sacred from the realities of life. And this is especially true in regard to laughter. You know, the early church in its eagerness to incorporate Greek thought, I think it inherited Plato's low view of humor. Any emotion, you know, was already a problem. But he said laughter overrides your rational self-control. So early Christian leaders, Ambrose, Jerome, John Chrysostom, they warned against laughter, in, you know, excessive laughter, or even laughter in general. This carries on through the Middle Ages, and even the Reformers uh, condemned laughter. The Puritans, perhaps, most of all. You know, they, might, they associated laughter with foul discourse, railing, insult, and maybe even violence. But I think what is missed is the full embrace of the realities of life, both tragic and comic. And isn't that, after all, the explanation for Abraham and Sarah's laughter? They've been granted life in the face of death, and now they can face both life and death. And so laughter is their realization of this reality and I believe the laughter, it's that same chapter where they laugh, where their names are changed. Their son is promised, he who laughs is memorializing the laughter, but then their own name change occasions, I believe, it marks the formation of a different kind of subject. It's their immediate and enduring response to God's resolution to their tragic situation. Now it's turned to laughter, to comedy in a sense, just as their child, or simply in, at this point the promise of having a child, turns tragedy into laughter. So to Christ, and of course Christ is the real he who laughs. Christ breaks into the tragedy of the human plight to establish an alternative sort of humanity. So when we encounter the Christ child, our reaction might be, you know, this is what's happening in the story of the birth. These people all with their responses, the shepherds, you know, Simeon, Anna, or even people later when they encounter the truth of Christ, the Ethiopian eunuch, what do they all do? They go away rejoicing. They go away praising God. They go away smiling and laughing. The burden of their life has been lifted. Kierkegaard at the end of his life, actually his life might be counted tragic if it weren't so funny. But he came to recognize that a failure to laugh, a failure of the comic perception, is the sign of a failed Christianity. 
what people laugh at and what they do not laugh at makes evident their progression or digression along life's way. He thought it was especially laughable that people would take Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel seriously. This one who pictures humanity as if it's deity. It makes it especially laughable that they laughed at him for making fun of Hegel. And this failed laughter, he says, is a failed Christianity. It's a failure to grasp the absolute paradox of the divine brought together with the human. It's a failure to grasp the infinite and qualitative difference between God and ourselves. Maybe it's a failure to burst the bubble of human pride. The incongruity of the divine infant fully embraces, I believe, this tragic in a comedy, you know, the, the, a reversal, a comedic reversal. Where I heard the song is already funny. I was at the dentist and they were playing the song over. As I was writing this, they were playing the song. And I thought, well, this is, this is perfect. It's the song, Mary, Did You Know? I believe the song captures this incongruity of the birth of Christ. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will someday walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. The incarnation, Christianity, is an incongruity with this world's thinking. This world's thinking tends toward the disincarnate. And this, of course, is the basic comic contradiction. To laugh rightly, I believe, is to embrace the world. Abraham and Sarah laugh. Simeon laughs. There is joy. There is praise from the shepherds. To laugh wrongly, I believe, is to miss the reality of the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Life is full of joy, of humor, maybe of irony. We can enjoy laughter in our everyday life. As we remember the birth of the Christ child, 
as we encounter Christ in the midst of the tragedies, the sorrows of life, I believe we can join Abraham and Sarah and a host of others in a joyous, nearly unbelievable laughter. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have been moved by this podcast, please remember to share on social media. If you would like to know more about Forging Plowshares, would like to contact us with questions, want to ask about how you can get involved, or for more information about how you can support this ministry, please go to our website at forgingplowshares.org.